I want to start off by saying we've gone over multiple times who wrote First Peter, who, who wrote Second Peter. I'm not going to go and put a slide up, but I do want to remind you, the Apostle Peter wrote it, wrote it about 60, 64 A.D. to 68 A.D., roughly, and it was written to the churches of Asia Minor. Those things become important when you uh, really want to delve into all the different aspects of studying a book. You really want to know all of those types of things, location, the person who wrote it, and who he was writing to, and why was he writing, why, why was he writing uh, this letter at all? Um, we discussed in, in uh, First Peter chapter one, uh, or First Peter, we discussed pretty much the concept of persecution and suffering, and dealing with suffering throughout that persecution. Second Peter uh, almost goes hand in hand with that concept considering the time period it was written because of when you get to, when we get into chapter 2 you'll understand why I'm saying this because these people needed to cling to something these people wanted to cling to something in first peter chapter second peter chapter 1 what peter does is he puts them into remembrance he says uh, in first peter or second peter chapter 1 the theme of that chapter was putting you in remembrance. He wanted to remind the churches of that time, of that area about the fact that they needed to remember what they believed in. It was very important to their faith. And I want you to consider the fact that this is during persecution, through suffering. Remember what you believe. Do not forget what you believe and hold fast to it because it is important in fact, it's so important that Peter says, Moreover, I endeavor that ye may be able to, after my, de- my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. He was so incredibly committed to this idea of putting this stuff in remembrance. He says, I'm about to die, and the last thing I want you to remember and know about me is that I put this stuff in remembrance. You, re- you remember what I, t- what I taught you while I was alive. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty, remember that. Brother Michael talked about this, whole, this chapter and about that concept of remembering what God did, what Jesus did. Peter and all the apostles were eyewitnesses of that event. Now, why, was it, why am I harping on this so hard? Chapter 2 he talks about the theme, or the theme of chapter 2 is false teachers. That's the concept that's going to be found in chapter 2. The reason it makes me nervous, there's a lot there when it comes to talking about false teachers. I want you to, through this overview, we're going to talk about the threat of false teachers in verses 1 through 3. We're going to talk about Examples of punishment for those false teachers. What's going to happen to people who are considered a false teacher? Then we're going to talk about the character of what a false teacher is or what kind of things that they do, what kind of person they are, and what kind of uh, just things that happen around these types of people, what they're known for. And then lastly, we're going to talk about the effects 
of these false teachers and what kind of effect that has on a congregation, what kind of effect that has on a person um, listening to these people and not doing their own work, not doing their own study, not doing their own uh, God-given ability to study the Bible. And we're going to talk about those four different things this evening. Verses 1 through 3. We have to start a little bit earlier in in, uh, chapter 1. Um, which Michael went over, but we're going to read verses 20 through 21. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old times by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. This is leading into this beginning of this uh, chapter. But there were false prophets among the people. Even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them. And bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall fall their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through through covetousness they shall with feigned words make merchandise of you. Whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not and their damnation slumbereth not. That is a lot of King James wording. But I want you to understand that this is a very, very serious thing that he brings in very quickly in Second Peter chapter 2, he brings into remembrance what happened in the old times or the prophecies and things of that nature were given to the, old, the, men, the holy men of God in the old times of prophets, of actual prophets of God speaking directly to these men. And these men were given holy words. But just, at the, just like back then there were false prophets, pe- people who, considered, who people considered to be men of God were actually not. They were looking out for themselves. All they cared about was themselves and getting gain for themselves and using God to make that happen. Just like that, there are false teachers today. People who teach things based off of what they want, based off of what they feel like, based off of what they want to say. And the scary part to me about all of this is the fact that these teachers are not people just in the outside world. These aren't just people that you hear on the radio. This isn't people, these aren't people that you see on TV. He says, false teachers from among you. I want you to think about that very carefully when you consider the fact that we have a hundred plus or more members of our congregation or maybe soon to be 200 or, or whatever. I want you to remember the fact that the, he says that there are false teachers among you. Now, that's not to make everybody be suspicious of each other and completely uh, try to divide each other. That's not the purpose of me saying that, but I want you to remember, be very careful. God says that there will be false teachers among us. Now, as preachers, as teachers of the congregation, there's a very... We'll get to this a little in just a moment, but there's a very distinct and very heavy responsibility placed on us to be a teacher in the public sense because the elders have put a, a trust in those people to teach what the Word of God says. But I want you to realize nowhere in this does it say anything about public speakers. 
False teachers doesn't only mean public speaking. False teachers does not only mean people who stand before a group and preach the word of God. A false teacher can also be a person who is doing private Bible study. It can also be somebody who is just talking to somebody, giving some opinions and things of that nature, but they say it in a way that is fact. I want you to realize that it says that the false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies. Now, what does the word privily mean? It means subtly or quietly, covertly get something in there. You're not going to notice it's happening until it's already happened. You're not going to realize that they've put this into your, your mind and made you believe it because they're doing it very subtly. They're going to bring in damnable heresies. Heresies mean variations from what is taught, variations from what the Bible teaches. So in, in, in this sense, what he's saying is a variation or something different than what the Bible says. Now it may be a very minute and just a twisting of a word here and there. But what Peter says is that is a heresy, damnable heresy. When you take the word of God and twist it to your own desires and twist it to what you want it to say rather than what it says. It's very, very serious. And Peter is very, very harsh when he's talking about false teachers. And I want to be very clear about this. This whole chapter is not nice. (laughs) Is not nice to false teachers. Even to the point, now these false teachers among the seven churches of Asia, or the, sorry, the, the eight churches of Asia Minor, I'm, I'm pulling in a little revelations here, but uh, the churches of Asia Minor, these churches would have had teachers, multiple teachers, as the Bible instructed. Now I want you to consider these men and women are dealing with some heavy persecution by Nero. They're dealing with some, something, something that we here don't deal with. We just don't. And the thing that we get to cling, they get to cling on to is the fact that they have a God, Jesus, who is coming back, who is going to take them back to heaven if they stay faithful. In chapter 3, we'll get to where it says that these men, these false teachers are saying that, what, what makes you think that Jesus is coming back? Things have been going on like this from the beginning of creation. Why do you think that Jesus is coming back? That's a heretical, that's a word, heretical teaching to say that Jesus was not going to come back. Now, some of those people might have thought he was coming back tomorrow. Now, that's a little bit of a stretch, right? But the fact that Jesus was coming back is still true. It's still true today. Now, these men and false teachers were telling them that Jesus may not come back. He may not. Very subtly letting these people know those things very, and denying the Lord, denying what Jesus himself had said. Jesus who had bought them by his blood on the cross and they are t- they're saying things that are contrary to what he's even saying. And what, those, what Peter is saying there is they're going to bring on themselves swift destruction. And a terrifying thing, many shall follow. Many will follow. Now, wonder, you wonder why many were going to follow this person if they're teaching that doctrine. Well, let's say it's a doctrine that's a little different. Maybe it's a prosperity-type doctrine saying, you know, if you, if you do these things, you're going to get to heaven right away. 
If you do these things, you're going to, you're there. Maybe it's a subtle difference than what the teaching actually is of Jesus. Those people who are dealing with persecution and suffering, what are they going to do? They're going to run in flocks. If they don't have a strong foundation of faith and know what Jesus actually taught, they're going to run in flocks to that teaching. Pernicious ways, which means destructive ways. It's going to destroy their faith. It's going to destroy them as a Christian because they're following these false teachings. And again, I want to be very clear. This does not limit people to the pulpit. This is false teaching as a whole. Men and women. Men and women. What you teach your children, what you teach your friends, what you teach each other, what you're talking about. Is it according to God's will? Is it according to God's word? Do you know God's word well enough to say a certain thing and not put your twist on it and make it what you want it to say? Or is it what the Bible states? Through covetousness, they with feigned words make merchandise of you. Feigned words, basically saying flowery speech and, and false words. Those are the type of words they'll use. They'll use whatever they want to, however they want to say it. That's how they're going to say it, to make you believe them. Basically insincere type words, not true. It's very serious, the threat of false teachers. And we as a congregation, we as Christians need to be very much aware that that threat exists. And it's going to come from among us. Not from outside. It's going to come from within our groups. Something to be very, very careful of. And Paul even says, For I know this, that after my departing shall the grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Have you ever considered what a false teacher would do to a congregation? Consider sheep versus a wolf. They're absolutely going to tear them to shreds. It's going to tear that congregation apart. That's what Paul was afraid of. He's talking to the the, uh, elders of Ephesus and saying, this is what I'm afraid of. When I leave leave you and basically go to Jerusalem, from then, I'm I'm not going to see you again. I'm afraid of what's going to happen from among you. In verse 30, he says, from among you, Shall people arise teaching false things, leading many people away? He is afraid of what's about to happen because he understands Paul knew from through the Holy Ghost that this was gonna happen. We as Christians, we as a congregation have a responsibility not only to know the Bible, to know what God teaches, to know and be put in remembrance of what Jesus did for us and what we know is the truth. But second to that, we have a responsibility if we are teaching anybody. If we are teaching anybody that we teach what the Bible teaches, and that we're not teaching what we want to teach, we are teaching what the Bible teaches. That is our responsibility as Christians. Because we do, I don't, I don't want to be that person that leads many away from God. And I would hope that none of us want to be that type of person. You know, the person who does this type of false teaching, who is that type of person? Peter is very clear as to what kind of punishment and what kind of destruction is going to happen. He gives a very clear uh, uh, analogy of what is going to happen to those types of people. 
For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them to chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah the eighth person, the preacher of righteousness, bringing in a flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those after, after that should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that ju- the righteous man dwelt among them, in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation, and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Now, I want you to re- consider this. There's a lot of stuff going on in this passage. I, want, I, I understand that. But I want you to think about the fact that there's two different groups that, God, that G- uh, Peter's talking about. There's two different groups. The unjust, the people or false teachers of the time. Okay, And he's giving diff- three different examples of what an unjust or ungodly person is. He gives the angels that fell away. There's a lot to be said, and I'm, I'm, we're not going to go down that rabbit trail of what happened in, to, the, uh, to the angels. We're not going to do that, because that's not the point of what he's, t- he's saying here. This is an example of what's going to happen. Okay. The next thing, spared not the old world, but saved Noah. That's what happened to the ungodly or the unjust people. He didn't spare them. Okay? But the righteous man, he saved. He saved Noah, the eighth person, along with his family. Now, again, we're not going to get into anything as far as what they did wrong, what happened to the old world, what was going on, what was so evil. It doesn't matter. What he's talking about is what's going to happen to evil versus godly people. Turn the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, but delivered just Lot. Again, it doesn't matter what Sodom and Gomorrah did. Their sin was grievous to the point that God said, I'm going to destroy the city. I'm going to destroy this place because of what they are doing. But I'm going to deliver just Lot because he is living righteously. Just the same way as he did those things and he judged those types of people. The same way God is going to judge the unjust, the false teachers of our time, and those that are righteous, living um, the right way, doing the right thing. He's going to deliver them out of temptation. But he's going to reserve those that are being false teachers until the day of judgment to be punished. God is very clear. Peter is very clear of what's going to happen if we are considered or found to be a false teacher. It's very serious. It's not something to joke about. It's not something to laugh about. God has a very strict and very... Deadly, if you will take it that way, he puts a deadly responsibility on teachers. It matters what you teach, and it matters what you say and how you say things. Now, there's a side note that I definitely want to uh, talk about in this chapter, or in this, in this passage of verses. And that is the, about Lot. You know, Lot, if you know the story of Lot, Abraham and Lot grew so wealthy that they couldn't live together anymore. Lot used, was living with Abraham, but they grew so wealthy that the, their, their shepherds and their, the people that were keeping their flocks were fighting. So what Abraham said is, let's separate. 
Lot decides, and he, he takes Lot up to a mountain and says, okay, pick where you want to go. Lot looks over here, and he sees the valley and the, the area of Sodom and Gomorrah and says, that's a beautiful land. I'm taking that. He goes over there, and he camps out in the, uh, in the, in the, in the plains, in that valley, toward Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, I want you to realize, eventually, he gets to the point that he's in Sodom and Gomorrah, not just facing it, not at the edge of it. He is in Sodom and Gomorrah, the evil city that God says, I'm going to destroy. He was still just. He was still just. I do want to bring that out. Peter says that he was still a just man. But I want you to realize the righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul. The word vexed means he troubled. He caused distress. He caused himself pain and distress because of what he was seeing and hearing while living in such an evil place. The things we see, the things we hear matter. As a righteous person, we are vexing our souls when we continually look at things that we don't need to look at. When we continue to hear things that we don't need to hear. We are vexing our righteous souls. It matters what you listen to, what you see. First Corinthians 15 verse 33, but be not deceived, evil communication corrupts good manners. Well, Lot wasn't evil. He was a righteous man. God said that he delivered him because he was a just man. I want you to read the next chapter of Genesis, chapter 19. Lot was a good man. But chapter 19 talks about his daughters, his family, the things that they did. I'm not going to speak of from the pulpit. But read the chapter. You think his family wasn't affected by what he saw and what he heard and what they saw and what they heard? They were affected. Their souls were vexed and troubled by the things that they saw and heard. So as we as Christians, I want you to be very careful. I want you to take this type of admonishment, I guess, and say... The things you listen to, the things you see, the things you hear, they matter. And are you vexing your righteous soul? If you're truly trying to live for Christ, are you vexing, or are you troubling and causing distress to your soul by the things you're listening to and the things that you're seeing? You know, the character of a false teacher, uh, this is a bulk of what this chapter really talks about is the the things that characterize a false teacher and the things that they uh, are known for the things that they do the things that they want it may not be very it may not be just out there for everybody to see if it was they nobody would believe them right if they knew that they were walking after the flesh nobody would believe that if they knew that they were despising pe- people despising the government despising the authority that's been placed over them if they knew that they were presumptuous or self-willed, meaning arrogant and full of themselves and wanting the praise for themselves, that they knew that they weren't afraid to say anything that they wanted to about the people that were in charge, the people that were put in authority above them. Now I want you to consider the fact that that means elders, that means deacons. In the church sense, that means those types of people. 
If, what are we saying? What are we doing? Are we despising that type of authority by the things that we are saying and the things that we say almost, maybe publicly, maybe privately to one or two friends here and there, the things that we say? I don't agree with that. Well, I, there's no way I would have done it that way. Whereas angels, which are great in power and might, bring no railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these, as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and, are, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. Have you ever heard somebody just start talking, and you just were like, you just, you just know, you're like, you have no idea what you're saying, do you? You're just talking. You have absolutely no clue what you're saying. They look pretty ridiculous, don't they? That type of thing, as far as Christians are concerned, that type of communication, that type of talking, speaking evil of things that you have no clue about. I wish the elders would do this. You don't know what they're doing. I wish the deacons would do this. Do you know what they are doing? You're speaking evil of things that we have no idea what's going on. Be careful. Don't do that. Because we're going to be classified like this. As people speaking evil of things we don't know. Speaking evil of dignities. Uh, people in authority. People who are put in that place for a reason. They were selected by the group, but then more importantly, they were selected by God to be in that place. They are put in that position for a reason. A false teacher is not going to be afraid to say things to people when they know they shouldn't. A false teacher is going to say things really probably shouldn't do. And they know it, but they're going to do it anyway. And shall re receive the reward of the unrighteous. Sorry, let me go back and read that. Speaking evil of things they do not understand and shall utterly perish in their own corruption and shall receive the reward of the unrighteous as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots are they and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceiving, while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sinning, beguiling unstable souls. A heart they have, exercised with covetous practice, cursed children. Wow. Peter is not holding back, is he? He has some strong feelings of what he thinks about false teachers. He calls them cursed children. So I didn't highlight this, but I want you to look at this, just think about this. As they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. I looked at what that phrase meant. Those that enjoy sinning in public. People who revel in doing things in public that they shouldn't do. That's the same type of person. That's the, that, that's the correlation they're drawing to these, type, these false teachers. A person who enjoys doing that type of deal have no... Uh, Qualms, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. They have no problem sinning in front of people. That's the same type of problem that false teachers 
are classified in. They sport themselves with their own deceiving while they feast with you. Basically, the context of this idea is basically they're not afraid to parade what they are saying to you. They have no problem with that. They're okay with you thinking that they're righteous, but they know that what they're telling you is wrong. Or maybe it's just an opinion, but it's not doctrine. But I'm not going to say that. Because I want you to think that what I'm saying is right. Having eyes full of adultery, they cannot cease from sinning. Beguiling unstable souls. Now this is a tidbit that I definitely want us as a congregation to think about. Do you know what the word beguiling means is to, to trick? You've caused somebody, you've tricked somebody. Now, you trick an unstable soul. You basically take what they know and you change it. And you trick somebody who doesn't have a firm foundation. And you completely destroy them as a Christian because you change what they believe through trickery, through think, subtly saying things a certain way, making them believe something different. That's part of the characteristics of a false teacher. You'd say things in a certain way that makes them believe this. When in reality, probably not what that is. Be careful. And I want you as a, I want to say as a church, as a congregation, are we an unstable soul? In the sense of we don't know what the Bible says, so we don't know what to argue about. Well, I say argue. To discuss. We don't even know what the Bible says, so we can't say anything to false teachers. That's what an unstable soul is. It's someone who doesn't even know where to start a discussion. Now, I'm not, am I saying a newborn Christian should know everything? No, absolutely not. There's, but as uh, Sean McCorkle said on Sunday, he said, are you staying a child? And we spoke to that woman, and she said, I've been a child for 40-something years. Are you... It's about time you matured, right? As a Christian, we should be maturing to the point that we are no longer an unstable soul. We are matured to the fact that we can know when somebody is saying something that is untrue or something that is just an opinion. We should know that difference because we know our Bible and we have a firm faith. And we are solid because we know what the Bible says. We know what the Bible teaches. And we're not that unstable soul that's being tricked into believing something else. Which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray following the way of Balaam, son of Boaz, Basor, sorry, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumb ass speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. Now, Peter goes from just ripping up false prophets to making a pretty harsh insult against them, as well, or false teachers, and then another uh, harsh insult to them right on top of that. He calls them, uh, they t- he, tells, he says that they follow the way of Balaam. Now, what does that mean? Well, if you know your Old Testament history, when the children of Israel were traveling through to Canaan land, the Moabite king Balak wanted to have Balaam, who was a prophet of God. He was a prophet of God. 
He wanted him, he wanted him to curse the children of Israel. I would, I would encourage you guys to read that. It's found in Numbers 22 through Numbers 24. So please read that. It's a very interesting story. But at the end of that, chapter 24, it kind of leaves you what happened. You know, it just kind of, so you, you know what actually happened in the story. Balak asked uh, Balaam to curse him. Balaam's like, okay, gets ready to curse him, and out comes a blessing. Three times he does that. Each time a blessing comes out instead of a curse. Balak says, what are you doing? I asked you to, I asked you to curse him, and you're blessing him. What are you doing? Well, Balaam, Balaam says, well, I can only say what the Lord tells me to say. That's the end of the story. Now, the, the, the donkey and all that stuff happens at the beginning of that um, chapter 22, all that stuff happens at the beginning. I want you guys to just read that chapter. It's pretty interesting. But where did Balaam sin in all of this? Was it just the greed of wanting money? And was it just that? Was, it, was that simply it? Numbers 31, verse 16. Behold, these caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to commit trans- trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. You know, the prophet Balaam couldn't technically curse the children of Israel because God wouldn't let him. But what he did do is he told Balak how to cause the children of Israel to fall away, to go astray. He told him, what you need to do is send your daughters, your, the women of the Moabite people, you need to send them in to, 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 to marry with the Israelite people. And what's going to happen is those, those women are going to pull these men away from God and have them worship Baal. That's what's going to end up happening. So basically what Balaam did is he gave Balak the keys to destroy the children of Israel. He couldn't officially curse them, but he could subtly cause them a problem. Does that sound familiar? That's what a false teacher is doing. He is subtly causing a problem, causing people to go astray. And what Peter says is that those people for, who love the wages of unrighteousness are following the same way that Balaam did. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. Basically, have you ever, <laughs> have you ever seen a cloud? We're not having that problem right here, but if you look at the clouds... And you can expect rain, generally. But what he's saying is a, pro, as a, as a teacher is basically like a cloud that you're expecting rain. You're a farmer, maybe. Just picture this. You're a farmer. You see some clouds in the, in the horizon. You see them coming towards your fields. You're like, yes, I'm going to get some rain because I need it. They come over and they keep going and there's nothing that comes out. It's worthless to you. It did absolutely nothing. That's what's, that is what a false teacher really does. Absolutely nothing for you. The, at, the, at the least, he does nothing for you. At the most, he's going to pull you away from Christ. They're like wells without water. They appear to be righteous, but they can't offer anything of substance 
with their teaching, with what they're telling you to do, if they're giving you correction and things like that or, or, or uh, giving you ways to fix your life. But in reality, when you try to do those things, they do nothing. That's what he's talking about. They don't do any good with the things that they teach, the things that they want you to do. They're teaching you. It does nothing. If we as, as Christians and as teachers and people of, who are teaching each other are trying to tell people or instruct people in a way to do things or trying to instruct them how to live, if we're not using the Bible... We don't need to be doing that. Am I saying that the Bible has every single scenario, everything like that? No, but the principles are all found in the Bible, how to live and how to be holy, how to be Christians. If we're not using the Bible to back up what we're telling and how we're advising people, we are just like this. Wells without water, a cloud driven with a tempest that does nothing for me. Does nothing for anybody if you're that type of teacher who doesn't give any substance, doesn't give any Bible with what you're teaching. And it doesn't help somebody become a better person. Lastly, the effects of what a false teacher will do to a congregation. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure the lust of the flesh through much wantonness. Those that were clean escaped from them who lived in error. While they promised them liberty, they themselves are servants of corruption, for whom a man is for of whom a man is overcome of the same as he brought into bondage. They will use flowery language. They will use all sorts of arguments. They will say all sorts of things to lure you away from what you believe. From what you know is the truth. And they allure. They entice people to come to believe what they believe. And the scary part about it is that those that were clean are the ones that are being pulled away. Those that have escaped that sin that has held on to them are now back in that sin. may not be the same one. May not be the same sin that held them captive before they became a Christian, but now they are back in sin in a different way because of the teaching of a false teacher. They promise them liberty, they promise them all sorts of things, but in reality, what they get, they themselves are servants of corruption, they themselves are servants of sin. For what, for by whom a man is overcome, what he is overcome by. That's what he's in bondage to. The sin problems you deal with become the sin that becomes your prison. For if they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled there. They are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. 
This is what happens when we as Christians, we as a congregation, don't know how to deal with false teaching. This is what's going to happen to people who not only are unstable souls, but those who are clean, those who know the right thing. There's a potential for that to happen to them as well. After they've escaped the pollutions of the world, they are entangled therein again. They are brought back to the state of sin. And it, it's better, it would have been better for those people to not have even started down the way of righteousness because it's, the latter end is worse than where they started, when they started. Because they know the right thing and they went back to it. The dog that has turned to his own vomit again and the sow that has washed to her wallowing in the mire. It's a very, it's a disgusting picture that's painted here. But that's what happens when we, as Christians, don't not only deal with the false teaching and know how to deal with the false teaching and fall under that, that temptation, fall under that, that uh, uh, and listen to what they're teaching. But it's also what happens whenever we, as Christians, of our own volition, live lives that we shouldn't be living after we become a Christian. It may not be false teaching that does it to you. Maybe your own decisions that do that to you. There's a warning here. This whole chapter is also not only as a, as a uh, basically informing us of false teachers and what's going to happen, but it's a very strict warning of what uh, for people who are teachers, who are teachers for God. There is a heavy and real responsibility placed on us in the pulpit by the elders, but also by God. If you find yourself as a teacher and you're in that position, I want you to understand there is a heavy and real responsibility. You should not be taking it lightly. Because our role is to perfect the saints, to help perfect the saints, and to edify the body of Christ. That is our role as teachers. Do you take it seriously? Because God takes it seriously when you don't. God is very serious when you don't. Are you serious to do that? Those are the thoughts of uh, that I have pulled out from chapter 2. Um, I hope that what I've said has been something to make you, uh, that has informed you, at the very least, informed you and made you think um, about the chapter, of, uh, second, cha- second Peter chapter 2. Uh, the threat of false teachers, examples of the punishment that's coming for those false teachers, uh, the character and what to look for in a false teacher, and the effects of what, that, of what a false teacher can do in a congregation if we don't see it, And if we as Christians don't keep it from happening as teachers.